Welcome to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept UK. Being a Christian charity based here in the UK focused on helping you to know God deeply to live differently, we have discussions with some of the greatest modern men and women of God about how their relationship with God's Word, the Bible, has transformed their lives. If you are encouraged by any of the messages in this podcast, it would help us out enormously if you could leave us a review. Or better yet, get involved with God's Word for yourself at precept.org.uk. The opinions and views shared in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Precept UK. Now, without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode. Well, I'm really delighted to be welcoming Josh Fortune to the Bible and Me podcast today. Josh was born prematurely and through prayer, he says, God saved him at birth. He was raised in a Christian home, educated in southeast London at St. Olive's Grammar School. His father's a pastor, his mother a doctor, uh, but both and Josh admits that while he was growing up, he was really living on his parents' faith. With a love of war poetry, Josh decided to join the army and so started an incredible journey. He served in Iraq uh, with the parachute regiment and following an injury which prevented him going to Afghanistan, he eventually did go to Afghanistan for three years uh, as a NATO cameraman, during which time he served, he, sorry, he survived over 50 firefights with the Taliban. He's written an incredible book called Three Years at War about his time there, which I've just read and I would highly recommend. Josh serves as a pastor now of a church in Woolwich, East London. He loves military history, uh, flying uh, simulators such as the F-14 and the Gazelle. Uh, He loves the Lord. He's married to Danielle. They have three sons, Jacob, Johnny and Jesse. So um, welcome to the programme, Josh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to to be here and to speak to you. Now, um, Josh, how did you come to faith in Jesus and Mm. why do you follow him? Thank you. Yes, as you mentioned in your intro, um, I dined off the faith of my parents for many years. And I think that's a, uh, an issue that many growing up in church families, maybe particularly uh, pastors uh, families can have, where you go to all the things and you sort of have faith by proxy. But actually, my dad knew and could see in my life that there was no sign of really knowing the Lord. And he encouraged me. Uh, the Bible says again and again, seek the Lord and you will find him. That's a promise. And so he said, son, I want you to start seeking the Lord. It's not about what I say about him it's what he says about himself and so I started seeking the Lord I would go up to the local woodlands every day and just spend time saying Lord if you're there I want you to move in my life I want you to show me you're there I want you to save me from my sins and to give me a new heart and it was about a month of of doing this and I was on I remember I think it was a like a weekend away um, with some other youth and I was praying the same prayer in my room one night and just the Lord just opened the scriptures to me. And and at that moment, I just knew that there was a God. I knew that he'd sent his son to die for my sins. And I decided to follow him uh, in that way. And I was in floods of tears um, and he, he's just wonderful. And you asked, why do I follow him? It's um, I'm reminded of, of um, what Peter says when some of Jesus' disciples fall away. And Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, to who else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And in all my experiences and travels, I have never met anyone or anything that has the wonderful message of life like Jesus Christ. And seeing what he's done time and time again um, to a broken sinner like me, just showing his grace and mercy. I don't know how I could follow anyone else. Oh, that is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. What a wonderful thing for a father to encourage his son Mm. to seek 
the Lord for himself. That's that's great. Yes, and it's, it's been lovely actually that during um, lockdown, my oldest son Jacob, um, I've been encouraging him the same thing, and he's he's come to faith in the Lord, and he, he's been seeking the Lord, and the Lord uh, really you know changed his life. It's in lockdown one, I think it was, so it's wonderful to see. Absolutely, going yeah. down the generations. Yeah, wow. <laughs> what a wonderful thing! What a wonderful thing! So if you're listening to this and you're a dad, then mm. and I'm a dad too. Let's let's be encouraging our kids to seek the Lord for themselves now. Mm. Um, you were born prematurely. Yes. And I mean, you, you sort of said to me before this interview that you would have died, actually, were, were it not um, mm. in your understanding for people's prayers and, and God literally saving you. I mean, what, yes. what happened? Yeah, so I'm, you wouldn't think it now because I'm quite a, a chunky lad, but um, I was born very prematurely uh, and I was so small that my mum found it easier instead of trying to order, you know, specialist uh, premature baby clothes, she'd order just big teddy bears and strip them naked and then put their clothes on me. I, I was that small. Um, and as you know, uh, prem babies' um, lungs often aren't developed properly, and my lungs have always been quite bad. The Lord gave me, I think, about a decade off from my uh, army time, but now they're not good again. And when I was young, they weren't good again. Um, and the doctors all said, and they called in specialists, that this baby hasn't got a chance. The technology wasn't developed enough. I was on an incubator 24-7, and they said, look, to mum and dad, you need to prepare yourself. This um, baby's going to die. But my mum and dad, as you know, are believers. And one night they were praying and they were in separate locations. Mum was in the maternity area of the hospital. I think dad was in the visitors um, uh, section. And there were three families in the church in their individual houses praying for me. And at two o'clock in the morning in their five different locations, all of them had this overwhelming sense of peace from God that their prayers had been answered. So next day, the doctor walks in and sees uh, my dad beaming by my incubator. And again, you can think the doctor's like, okay, is this man beginning to crack from the from the grief? And he says, why are you smiling? You know, and, and dad's like, I believe God's healed my son. The doctor's like, okay. And he pulls out the graph, which charts my um, uh, heart rate and breathing. And from two o'clock in the morning, the graph goes uh, there's a significant improvement in the graph going straight up and several of the doctors and nurses involved in me who would got very close to mum and dad throughout the course of this actually came to know christ and my parents called me joshua which means god is savior yeah isn't that an amazing amazing thing the power of prayer mm. oh, amen hey there are two great lessons right off the bat already <laughs> this podcast you know um, encouraging your kids to seek the Lord and the power of prayer. Now, it was mm. while you were doing your A-levels that you studied war poetry. The mm. war at that time was on the television. Mm -hmm. And after attending university in London, you decided to join the army. Now, although you joined the Royal Artillery, uh, you decided to switch to the Parachute Regiment, uh, with whom you then deploy on operations to Iraq in the mid-2000s. Uh, I've got a couple of questions related to this. Um, mm. Why did you join the Paris? Uh, and what are your memories of your deployment with them to Iraq? And I understand also you made a short documentary of your time out there. Yeah, so I started off in the reserves and I actually joined the reserves during my university time. And we were using the Rapier Air Defense Missile System and it was a wonderful bit of kit. But you soon came to realize that when you have the Americans on your side, you're not really going to use it because they will destroy any enemy aircraft long before Rapier gets there. And um, be, having attended the Cub Scouts when I was younger and getting this you know, fascination with badges on the shoulders, I noticed that sort of the elite uh, paras would have this wing parachute badge on the shoulder. And um, the way that people would talk about them made me think, oh, I really want to try it out. So um, I went for it and it was very, very difficult. Um, for those that are in the know, uh, the paras do something called P Company, which is their selection process, which is a 
I think one of the most brutal weeks of my life. It, it really hurt. I had all sorts of bruises in my legs. I, it took a long time to recover, but I was um, uh, very uh, blessed to be one of the few people that passed the test. And shortly afterwards, we went to Iraq and it was quite a quiet time. Um, we were uh, working out of a, a place just outside Basra. And there was a lot of guard duty, some low level patrols and things like that, but it was quite quiet. And I'd um, having, you know, had left my uh, university while I was studying sort of TV and film production, I kept a very small rubbish camera in my pocket and made a short documentary just for my friends and I about what it was like to be there. Um, but afterwards, when I came back um, and I was, you know, back to part time um, soldiering again, I got a job as a lifeguard in the sports centre. And there used to be this really um, snooty journalist who would come in each day. It was like this private club. And they used to look down, a lot of the guests used to look down upon you know, the staff. And he used to really look down on me. And, and, it was probably a bit boastful. I, I feel a bit bad doing it now, but I, I dropped into conversation with him that I just come back from Iraq um, uh, just because I wanted him just to not think I was complete scum of the earth just because I used to like mop the changing rooms. Um, and then um, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm a journalist. And actually, uh, I know some people at the BBC. And I said, well, actually, I've just made a film. Would you like to see it? And I lent it to him. And then, yeah, I mean, actually, my whole career in many ways has spawned from that moment where I spoke to this guy just in passing because he was being slightly snooty. So it's again amazing the way that the Lord just orchestrates things together. Um, so yeah, the BBC ended up um, showing this documentary in 2007 and um, yeah, the MOD were very gracious. Luckily there was nothing uh, problematic in it. So the MOD cleared it and it was all good. And uh, wow. yeah, so it was amazing to, to sort of be a 21 year old director having something you'd made on, on the BBC, yeah. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. That is really, really amazing. Uh, now, when you came back from Iraq, uh, your deployment there, you, you mm. picked up a nasty knee injury in training. Yes. Uh, which precluded you going with your unit to Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and so actually you, you decide to leave the army um, mm. at that point. Now, what, what happens in your life at this stage? I was devastated. Um, I'd had plans, you know, for a for a, a long and fruitful army career, trying to do the hardest things possible. But um, God decided otherwise. And I must admit that I fell off the wagon in many ways at, at this stage. I felt like God had thrown a massive spanner in the works of my life, the plans I'd had for myself. Um, he, I felt like he had just wrecked it. And um, looking back now, I. And having had having young children, I sort of was very much like a toddler. If I didn't get my way, I just pushed God out and I started drinking heavily and chasing girls and trying to find meaning and trying to find satisfaction in anything else but him. But instead of finding satisfaction and meaning, I was just spiraling downwards into a, a deep, dark hole. And I remember it really came to a head when I phoned one of my friends, John, who was um, with my old unit, about to deploy the next day to say goodbye. And after I spoke to him, I just I just collapsed in a field. I was, I was incredibly drunk at the time. And I collapsed in the field again, just cry, crying. <laughs> I, I know I mentioned crying a few times. I do not cry often. I cry probably about, I don't know, once every two years or something. But, but these are sort of the real uh, tough moments in my life uh, that, that we're covering today. Yes. Um, and yeah, I was just very, very angry with God that, that he had allowed it to happen because he, my plans had been uh, hijacked from what I could see. Yeah. Now, now out of the blue, um, you get a call from a friend saying that they are looking for camera operators in Afghanistan. Mm. And so for the next three years, you go to Afghanistan filming operations of, of NATO forces uh, against yes. the Taliban. Um, now, it seems to me, um, having read your book just recently, that there are sort of a couple of different phases or stages 
of your time out there. The first mm. being a sense of frustration at not being involved in any firefights <laughs> <laughs> and being yeah. a long way from God. Mm. And the second uh, phase is really coming back to God and 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 being involved in firefights. Um, and what I want to do is I just want to read a little bit from your book to sort of set the scene and ask you mm. a questions related to that. So this is this is from your entry on the 23rd of February. Um, and I'm guessing that's 2008. Um, um, this was 2009. So I'd been there for a full year at this stage. Um, okay, so yeah. Here we go. So I don't even feel worthy. Uh, sorry, I, I'm sorry. Um, I'm reading from the wrong bit. Start again. Um, in some ways, I don't recognize what I have become. I drink uh, regularly and heavily, I swear, using words that I never thought I'd ever say. I chase girls, I'm selfish, easily jealous, and in a big, big mess. Josh, the pastor's son, the churchgoer, the Christian, seems like somebody else in the distant past. I feel like a husk at the moment, desperately hoping for combat, seeking the glory and the respect from other people that comes with it. Enough is enough. I can't live like this anymore. I don't want to be the person, this person, for a moment longer. It takes me a while to find my camouflage Bible, it is gathering dust beneath my bed. So, um, you then open the Bible. Mm. <clears throat> what what did you what did you say to God at this point mm. as you were opening your Bible, uh, and what story did you start to read, and what started to happen once you started to turn back to God? yeah because basically as that had said i had just i didn't recognize who i was anymore and i i came to the lord recognizing that i had been um participating i guess in grade a idolatry you know idolatry is when you put anything uh, above god in terms of importance and giving you your meaning and hope and i put combat as my god and it sounds crazy for someone to say that you know comedy i can understand fast cars or women or something but for me it was combat i wanted the respect that came from it and so i came to the lord and said lord you've given me this wonderful job this wonderful experiences and yet i've rejected you by putting all of my stock and my happiness and my hope in this idea of getting combat and being respected by people and so really the heart of it was idolatry in myself i wanted myself to be glorified and not him and so i i repented of that and i opened up the bible and there were two things i read firstly i read the story of the prodigal son and i'm sure many of you know the story of where um uh, the son just demands everything from the father he goes off squanders it all and then as a broken man comes back to the father who welcomes him with open arms. And that was a wonderful picture of the grace of God, despite our wayward ways. And then the second passage I read was from Matthew chapter six. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about our worries. And he says, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the people who don't know God. And to be fair, he's not talking about things like chasing after combat. He's talking about really quite legitimate things like food and clothing. And he says, don't seek after these things because your heavenly father knows what you need. Seek after him and his righteousness first, and all you need will be given to you. Now, that's not some sort of magic formula, like, oh, Lord, I want a Ferrari, so I'm going to put you first. No, in the same way, my little boy, um, you know, thinks he needs chocolate just before he goes to bed at eight o'clock. I, as his father, knows that is the last thing he needs. He needs, you know, a bottle of milk and, and straight to bed. So the wonderful thing about God and the, the promises laid out by the Lord Jesus here is that the Lord knows what we need, not what we want. He knows what we need. And he wants us not to worry about that, but to put him first and trust in him. And as I read these passages, I was cut to the heart. And again, I shed tears. <laughs> and um, 
it just it just broke my heart that I'd become this idolater. I'd just turned away from God, chasing after my own lusts and my own glory. And I said to the Lord in that moment, Father, if I have to film wells and schools because we have to film everything there you know combat and schools opening wells being built you know stuff that the media would never be interested in and i said lord if i have to film wells and schools and stuff that nobody cares about for the rest of the time i'm here i don't care like i being right with you is just the most precious thing in i'm so sorry that i've lost sight of that and i'm lord jesus i thank you that you came to this earth and you died on the cross that my sins and my idolatries and my backslidings can be forgiven and healed and so that's what i said to the lord at that time and i didn't know what was going to be happening next right because things started to hot up (laughs) (laughs) very quickly (laughs) which which seems in a way it seems crazy but here here we Mm. go so i've got a couple of things incidents here so um There are so many incredible stories in your book uh, about being with troops from different nations, Mm. being shot at multiple times by the Taliban, uh, escorting captured Taliban soldiers in the back of a vehicle with a dead body on the floor that you hardly knew was there at the time, and some very, very close shaves for yourself personally. Mm. Uh, You were on one particular day with soldiers in Helmand province and were ambushed by the Taliban. And a friend of yours was actually shot in in the face. Hmm. What are your memories of that incident? Um, and also, I understand that you were involved in seeking out a well-known Taliban sniper as well during your time. I mean, this is just one of many, many incidents, clearly, that you were involved with out there. But th- these hmm. two particular ones. So, yeah, the first one with the the ambush, um, this was about a week after my first ever firefight. I was with some Estonian soldiers and we had uh, been in a lot of action. And then the Estonians took us down to a place called Nawa, which is just south of Lashkagar, the capital of Helmand province. And um, there were some British soldiers there and we went out on a patrol with them. And um, this patrol was with a few Afghan soldiers to demonstrate their capabilities. And we got ambushed. And apparently the numbers were about 50 Taliban. Um, late Two days later, some special us soldiers went in and rounded up like we heard it was about 50 prisoners from the area we got ambushed by so there was a lot of them um and yeah we we got ambushed and i've been shot at before and i've been shot at since but nothing was ever as bad as that day bullets were landing all around us some of the afghan soldiers and i don't really blame them had thrown their weapons away we're just lying like starfish on the ground (laughs) and we heard the worst thing you could hear on the radio at that stage man down Um, a soldier and his name uh, is John he had been hit in the face in the middle of a field and it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen there was a 21 year old um, girl called Kate and Royal Navy medic who was attached to the the uh, British uh, or the uh, army infantry uh, platoon she ran out on her own under fire and started stabilizing him but they needed volunteers so they asked for a few people to go forward and I found myself agreeing to I I don't know why Um, and as we were running towards John uh there was an afghan and again fair play to him an afghan soldier volunteered to save a british soldier and you know absolute fair play to him but he was a bit older than perhaps the the average british soldier and he was a bit slower and we had to go in single file because of the the um the bomb threat you know you've got to be in single file because you just don't know where safe and where there isn't and this guy was running really slowly and i was just thinking i'm gonna die because of this man and i was praying jesus 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 like not swearing it's, it's all i could articulate in my prayers and the lord just reminded me really powerfully in that moment of a a verse from Joshua 1. Uh, I love the book of Joshua and uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. The Lord is uh, speaking to Joshua and he says, have I not commanded you? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because I, the Lord, your God, are, are with you wherever you go. And the Lord was just showing me, yes, you're being shot at right now. You might even be dead in the next 10 seconds, but I'm with you. 
and you don't need to be afraid. And it was just such a wonderful encouragement because I'm not a brave person. I'm really, you know, when I play uh, in football and I often play as a goalkeeper, I'm scared when someone's running towards me with a ball. I do not like things. You know, I, I, I'm not a brave person, but the Lord's just sense of peace just was overwhelming. And we reached John and we saved him and we got him. Uh, Chinook came and picked him up and he was, uh, they rebuilt his face and he went back to Afghanistan about a year and a half later, which was crazy, but he's fine. Now he's back in the UK and it was a, yeah, a, a day I'll never forget. Now, the second one you speak about, um, this was in Sangin. And again, I imagine a lot of people have heard of Sangin. It's the arguably the most brutal place in Helmand, which arguably is the most brutal pro province in Afghanistan. Um, and there was a Taliban sniper there called Gulab, who had um, quite effective. Usually they're not very good at shooting, but this this guy was. Um, he had, I think, killed somebody the week before I came. Then the day before I came, he hit somebody in the shoulder. And he was becoming quite a threat. So some snipers were dispatched to try and hunt him down. Um, but to draw out any prey, of course, you need bait. So we'd send out patrols every day, um, you know, to, to A, be patrolling local area, but also B, to see if Gulab would do anything. Um, and they were able to pinpoint where he was. And uh, on the last day I was there, a sniper fired an incredible shot. I, it was about 800 meters, apparently, through a very small hole about the size of a brick. Um, and nobody ever heard from Gulab again. And actually that night, the, the, there was a... A young boy doing a call to prayer into the local um, mullah or local imam and the reason for that we were told is because when the mullah or imam is out doing the last rites for somebody or their equivalent for last rites um the younger the son of the mullah or imam has to take over and do it and so putting two and two together it was likely that uh, he was out seeing uh, to gulab and gulab was never heard from again so yeah i mean i was only in sangin for I was in Kajaki for a week and then Sangin for a week and my nerves were shredded at the end of that. And again, thinking about the soldiers who were there for six months and many of the guys I was on that patrol with uh, lost arms and legs and some of them died uh, within uh, about a month. It was a crazy time. So yeah, the soldiers that are there, I, I have an eternal respect for them because it is such a horrible place to be in. So just to be clear, you are you are going out on patrol. I'm mm. guessing you're not armed because... You... No. Or were you armed? You're not armed? No, no. So I just had a camera. I had a, a we started off with the conspicuous blue armor that journalists had, but we made that the Taliban, the Taliban, it's designed to stop enemy combatants firing at you. But it, with the Taliban, it had the opposite effect. They wanted to target someone who was different. And so um, I ended up just getting de like desert camouflage um, uh, body armor and helmets and trying to blend in with the soldiers as much as possible. But I didn't have a, a weapon, I had a camera. You had a camera. And so you yeah. were going out on patrol and never quite sure whether you were going to come back or not. Yes. Yeah, there were some sometimes uh, when it was just a, a very boring, you know, four hour patrol and it was just a, a nice walk out in the countryside, you know, in some of the quieter provinces. But in places, you know, in certain places in Helmand, you have no idea what's going to happen. So yeah. mentally, how do you how do you you know, when you leave the barracks and, and you're, you're going, mm. how do you prepare yourself to think this could be the last time? I think that many soldiers have this thing and I don't know in your experience if you ever had this but you think it's going to happen to everyone but not me and for most soldiers fresh in combat or fresh in a conflict zone that's the armor that many of them have the mental armor that many of them have it will happen to somebody else but not me but the problem with that is that as it starts happening to other people you then become to the next stage of processing which is actually this could happen to me. Now, the third stage is it's going to happen to me. And that's when soldiers either have to make the decision to become combat ineffective, like they're just not able to do anything, or they develop this just this fatalism, like, yeah, it's going to happen to me, but I'm just going to do all I can. And I've read many stories of both of those. I think for me, it was um, just 
trusting in the sovereignty of God. I, I, it was, Lord, you're in charge here. I know that you work all things together for the good of those that love you. Even if it means me getting shot is part of that. You know, there's not an asterisk in Romans 8, 28, where it says, except if you get shot or except if you get cancer, the Lord works all things together for the good of those that love him. And so it was where I had to really put my life and my faith um, where my mouth was, if you like. <laughs> I, I had to really trust that he was sovereign in those times and try not to think about some of the injuries that you could have got because, yeah, lots of people went through some really quite I mean, grim Psalm, ones. Psalm 23, 4, verse 4, you know, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes. Right, Actually, it was, it was amazing. There was a Fijian um, mm. uh, metal detector. He was using the metal detector uh, on the front of a patrol and they had the most unenviable job. You know, they'd walk towards going, boop, boop, and, you know, trying to find these improvised explosive devices. And on his helmet band, he had Psalm 23 written on it. And I was like, man, <laughs> I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you were able to return from time to time on leave from Afghanistan. And yes. on one such visit, you met a young lady called Danielle. Mm. Uh, she, in your own words, uh, had backslidden from her faith as well. Yes. Um, and for those listening, you'll have to read the book about the courtship and about Josh asking her out, which in his own words was far more terrifying than anything he'd been through in Afghanistan. I still stand by that. I still stand by that. <laughs> now, having met her, you were you were then back in Afghanistan again, um, with her back in the UK about to give birth. And you found yourself in a, in a situation in Camp Bastion, crying. Mm -hmm. Again. <laughs> uh, why were you crying at this time and what happened next? Yeah, so so Danny um, had basically at the same time I'd fallen away from God. Danny had as well, and she'd got herself um, in a relationship and, and pregnant. And her non-Christian friends had said get rid of the baby, but she knew that wasn't the right thing to do. So she moved back in with her parents, who were taking up a new position at a, at my church, which I was part of. And so I came home and I met her, and I was back in Afghanistan, and I was about to um, be launched on this big operation. And if you Google it, it's called Operation Moshtarek, which means, I think, like together or shoulder to shoulder. And it was just supposed to demonstrate the real capability of the Afghan security forces. And um, we were going to be dropped into um, hostile territory at about four or five o'clock in the morning the next day. And I phoned Danielle up to say goodbye. And it was the worst thing that could have happened because her mum answered. And Danielle was screaming in the background. She'd gone into premature labor and they were in an ambulance on the way to hospital. And I was just like, of all the time, I knew it was going to happen at some stage, but just not that night, not that time. And I was tempted, you know, I could feel just my inclination towards toddler mode coming back again. Just like, Lord, why? It feels like you designed the perfect way to hurt me here. Why did this happen now? But what was amazing, a soldier came up to me with a dog tag and um he said josh i found this in the sand it's yours and um i took it from him and i was like no no I, i've got mine but he said it's yours take it take it and i took it and on it was written joshua 1 verse 9 do not be afraid do not be dismayed because i the lord your god are with you wherever you go now as you remember that was the exact verse the lord gave me a year before when i was running to help save john and the lord was reminding me look even though it seems like you are in absolute pit of despair right now i am god I'm in charge and I'm with you wherever you go. And they, um, 
they put hormone patches on her belly. They stopped uh, the birth coming and the, the mission was really brutal. Uh, I think that that's where I had the dead body at my feet on the helicopter on the way back. It was awful. And my boss and my colleagues felt so sorry for me that they said, look, after this is finished, it's not your time to rotate back, but go back, go, go back for a week. And we came back. Um, she hadn't given birth yet. And uh, I'd spend the day with her again, you know, having been people who had backslidden before and turned away from God, we wanted to honor God now. So I wouldn't stay there at night. And, um, we started, you know, the baby was due and we started trying all the techniques, all the old wives tales you hear, you know, eat a hot curry, go on swings, anything to get the baby out. But he just was stuck in there. And it came to the night before I was supposed to go back to Afghanistan. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, here we go again. I'm going to have, you know, she will give birth without me being there. I've missed this chance. But he came and he came so quickly that he was born in my old bedroom because her, her mum and dad, uh, well, her dad was the pastor of the church that my dad used to be the pastor of. My dad had left to set up a pr prison ministry and he came so quickly they, they, in the church house that he was born in my old bedroom. And wow. I was there and I got to cut the cord. And it's just amazing because, you know, he, he's my oldest son now. And um, while one day he might be able to say to me, well, daddy, you know, you're not biologically my father. And I can say, yes, son, but I've been there from the moment you came into this world. And I love you just as much as I love uh, uh, any of my other children. And so here we see just me in the absolute, you know, pit of despair sitting in Camp Bastion, just thinking that the Lord had almost designed this perfect way to hurt me. In fact, if that pain hadn't happened, I wouldn't have got to be there for the birth. And I thought it was a wonderful picture of the cross, how God has used the worst thing that's ever happened. Sure, we've had awful things happen, you know, in the last hundred years, you know, we, um, the Holocaust, World War II, World War One, But by definition, surely the worst thing that's ever happened is the killing, not of man to man, but the killing of God by man, the killing of Jesus Christ on the cross. And yet God has used the worst thing that's ever happened to be the means by which many people are saved and to be the best thing that's happened. And that was a little experience of how God can often take the awful dark times in our life and turn them for his glory and for our good in ways that we could not have even imagined and so moving forward whenever i go through difficulties and suffering i'm reminding of that moment saying lord i don't know what's happening right now and it might not turn out to be a happy ending um in this life you know because many people in the new testament didn't have happy endings in this life but the lord ultimately knows what he's doing and ultimately it's for our good our eternal good and for his glory yeah wow 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 amazing so you were there for the birth you made it back for the birth yeah yeah mm. now you finished your time in afghanistan <clears throat> in 2011 yes and married danielle the same year and since then you have been a media producer uh, a lecturer mm -hmm. at uh, a university in london and a pastor of woolwich congregational church yes now, any one of these would be a full-time job how has God led you since mm. you have come back from Afghanistan? It's been it's been a long road. I mean, I think in many if this is a film, I think the moment Danny and I got married and um, um, my dad, who I think was yeah, my dad who married us and then her dad preached it. So obviously having two like uh, pastors in our family is always uh, you got to work out the politics of, uh, of any situations like that. But um, when he says you may kiss the bride, you know, the, the credits of the film will probably roll then. But actually, it's been a long road, you know, um, two sinners suddenly being uh, together. You know, um, if I'm giving any sense that I was the finished article in Afghanistan, then that's 
not true at all. You know, I, I am I am a desperate sinner and the Lord has had to um, use marriage and use just, you know, his word to sanctify me and to show me, you know, you, you know, I, I thought I was, a self, uh, you know, quite a selfless person. until I got married and then uh, I realized how selfish I was. And then, of course, having a baby in the mix as well, you realize really, truly how a selfish person you are. So it's been a long process. And when I was in Afghanistan, the Lord called me to be a pastor and I um, went to uh, on the U.S. airbase I was staying at in Kabul. Um, they didn't actually have a chaplain, which is odd because usually US chaplains are very good at being everywhere. And so we'd have to sort of take turns preaching. And my first sermon was awful. You know, I, I, I like vomited out the words. I was so nervous. I was like, blah, 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 blah. It was so quick. Um, but the Lord just gave me this passion for, for being uh, a pastor. And then um, I continued to preach when the chaplain came, they encouraged me to keep, you know, preach every now and then. And I was just so grateful for that. And when I came back, I sort of put the, the, the idea of being a pastor to the back of my head we couldn't afford um uh, to go to bible college but the lord um called me to well this this church in Woolwich asked me to come preach one day and it was really embarrassing because i had to go back to afghanistan for three weeks to cover for a colleague that hadn't um that was leaving and i went straight down to helmand again it was funny just as a side point or being married for a year and having to going from flying in blackhawks at two o'clock in the morning to changing pooey nappies at two o'clock in the morning was a real shock and for that first year i was like oh man i really miss just being in combat and and you know lots of soldiers have really struggled with that being back home and i got to go back a year later for three weeks and um i was the, the same estonian unit that i'd been in my first ever firefight were there back and they were on an operation i was like this is perfect i'm gonna go back and be in action but every single flight i tried to get on from bastion to the uh, ford operating area for three weeks was cancelled you know, I'll turn up at the flight line, the blades would be spinning and a brigadier would turn up and say, no, no, I need a, a flight on this. Who can we bump off, bump off the journalist? And at that time, towards the end of the three weeks, my wife phoned me up saying I'm pregnant. Uh, and the Lord was very clearly saying to me, Josh, stop, no more of this, like stop. Um, and so, uh, but what's funny is during that three weeks, I'd had a preaching engagement at this church in Woolwich, but I'd forgot. And so on the uh, Sunday morning, they texted me saying, Josh, where are you? And I was like, right you're not gonna believe this but i'm in a tent in afghanistan in camp bastion waiting for a helicopter i'm really sorry that i can't be there can you forgive me and i thought they'd never speak to me again you know I, I, but actually they, they were very gracious and a few months later they they invited me back and i started preaching there once a month and then their pastor uh, left because he was coming to the end of his time there anyway and then the church asked if you know i'd like to be the pastor and uh, we prayed about it and we felt the lord leading us so yeah i've been there for um about seven years now um and then yeah with, with my other job at the moment i work for a missions organization called ambassadors football the lord called me to leave and it was very scary the lord called me to leave my uh, comfortable um university job to work for this missions organization and we're developing this animated bible curriculum that takes kids um who love football all around the world through the entire story of the bible with a focus on jesus christ and it's been scary you know stepping out of the comfortable to go to this but the lord has shown me throughout my life he can be trusted and you know even last week he just provided you know um in an amazing way financially just a, a, a donor in the u.s just just gave you know a several month salary just boom like that straight away to keep the project going we're seeing god really um blessing this project so yeah very early days but it's wonderful to be serving him as a pastor and as a sort of a content producer uh, for this missions organization isn't that fantastic absolutely mm. fantastic. the lord is good uh, the lord is good pastor you you love reading you love preaching um we ask everybody on the podcast this question um, yeah why is the word of god important to you yeah i think that 
two things firstly there are many books in the world but there are none like the bible you know written over 1500 years by over 40 authors uh, in three different languages and yet all of it has one message the message of jesus christ you can spend your life looking at as many other books as you can fit into your lifetime and you will never find a book like the bible so it's important to me because it's special it is a book that is set apart but also in um god's word there is the words of life you know um the way that when you read to the Bible, it's speaking to you. The, the, the Lord will speak to you through the Holy Spirit and he will challenge you. You know, even just these last two weeks, he's been challenging me on an area that I just didn't think was an issue in my life. And he's been showing me through his word, Josh, this is an issue and I want you to sort it out. And again, the, it's not just you sit there and read it. It's not a passive thing. It is an active thing. I mean, doesn't, doesn't uh, God's word say that the word of God is active and it's like a sword. It pierces us and, and shows us. And so in God's word is life. And I would encourage anyone listening to get a copy of the Bible, start with one of the gospels and just sit down and say, Lord, if you're there, I want to know you. I want you to speak to me in your word and just, just don't give up. Just keep doing it like, like I did, you know, back at the beginning when my father was encouraging me to find out um, from God's word and to see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Take it as it, so, as it says it, it itself. It is a special, special book. There is nothing like it. And through it, God speaks to us. Fantastic. Now, if, you, if you're going to take up that challenge from Josh, and I would encourage you to, if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible and mm. you would like some help with that, mm. um, as a ministry precept, uh, that's what we do, actually. We, we help people to read interpret and then live out the bible yes. so if you're listening and, and you want some help with with accessing the bible understanding it um and you know what i love about what you said there josh is uh, the bible is living it is active mm. and actually it's able to this is a book that is an ancient book uh totally reliable and trustworthy um but it speaks very personally into our own lives and our own situations, doesn't it? So mm, exactly, it's a particular issue, and God's on my case about that issue. <laughs> and, yes. and I think you know, we, I can certainly relate to that. I'm sure many others can relate to that. And, mm. and so, there's a real importance of regularly reading and yes. studying the Bible, isn't it? I mean, you do yeah. it. Yeah. This is your job. You're a pastor. You preach. You teach all the time. But I think um, <clears throat> there is somewhat of a culture. I may be completely wrong here, but somewhat of a culture of people uh, maybe, you know, coming to church, hear the pastor. You know, he, he knows what he's talking about. He mm. can word and, and I'm good for yeah. another week. You know, I'm good for another yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, but actually, no. I mean, how many meals do we have during the week? We don't just have one meal on a Sunday morning, physical meal, do we? Week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that actually people can not only do that, but they can also maybe buy like a devotions book where it's just, you know, Christian celebrity uh, pastor or, or theologian just saying what they think. Now, sermons are, are, are great and devotions can be great, but I love your meal analogy. Imagine if you just ate McDonald's all the time, processed food, you know, food that was once food, but now has gone through all sorts of, um, you know, process. That's what it's like just being taught and getting your food from someone else it's okay for a very small time but really you want you know the healthy eating the going to the the source going to the you know the actual stream um uh, of the god's word yourself and the wonderful thing about god's word is that there are so many different uh, books in it and so many different um, ways that God has communicated that if you maybe struggle with one book, there'll be another book, which just 
jumps out to you and you love it. And so don't ever think, oh, I'm not clever enough. I've got to hear from somebody else. No, the Lord has deliberately designed his word to be written, uh, to be read and understood by people. You know, think about the people that wrote it. We had uh, kings, we had poets, we had fishermen writing. And so uh, the Lord's, you know, don't ever think oh, I'm never, I'm not clever enough to read the Bible. And, you know, uh, like, like I love how you said that, you know, there is help available um, with your organization. Um, for anybody that maybe wants a bit of help doing it but again I love how you're encouraging them not just to you know read your devotions or notes but to go to the bible itself because that's so so important for every believer to do yeah absolutely and half of the new testament was written by a guy that went out killing for looking to kill christians yes exactly yeah yeah you know you would not have thought that god would use a guy that was literally on his way around the place um voting to put christians to death personally yes yeah god used him to write the new testament i mean it is it is incredible now do you have a favorite um book of the bible or character in the bible i'm gonna say with a name like joshua (laughs) um yeah i'm I'm gonna have to say um i mean josh apart from of course the lord jesus himself um and i'll say my favorite book if i had to pick any is the gospel of john it's just the beautiful beautiful gospel and you see jesus clearly shown as being god uh, in the in the gospel um but apart from that i'd say the book of joshua is a good one i think what's fascinating is that moses obviously dies and joshua has to take over but joshua actually wasn't moses natural choice moses was you know crying out to lord who you know who's going to replace me and so joshua wasn't maybe the natural choice of course god chooses joshua and suddenly joshua's in this position where he's leading these people into the promised land and you can imagine he maybe was a little bit scared which is why in chapter one and it's a verse i mentioned earlier god is saying again and again be strong and courageous be strong and courageous and me being a naturally not a brave person me being a natural born warrior i need to hear that often you know be strong and courageous not because of who you are not because of who you how strong you are or how capable you are be strong and courageous because of who i am says god because i am with you and that's something i need to hear again and again so yeah my favorite character apart from jesus is probably joshua and of course my favorite verse following on from that is joshua 1 verse 9 (laughs) which i've already spoken about yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, fantastic. No, I think, um, and I love what you're, you, you're, you're regularly talking actually about the person of Jesus. Mm. I think this is interesting because we're, we're Brits, aren't we? And we can be a bit sort of embarrassed about Jesus. We can talk about God because God can almost be yeah. any, anybody, you know. Yeah. You know, because um, Islam talks about God. We have other yeah. faiths talk about God. Mm. But when you mention Jesus then you're you're personalizing the person of god and of course jesus yes. himself says that i if you've seen if you've seen me you've seen the father yeah you have seen the father yeah and i think yeah. this can sometimes be a revelation to people that jesus was god is god but when he lived on earth he was god as a man yes Exactly. And I think that it's important because I I completely agree with you that people like the idea of God, you know, even like, oh, God's all around us or God's in everything, you know, but but people can often often do that to Christ as well. They say, oh, yeah, he he was so wise. You know, he was all about love. Jesus would never condemn anyone for their lifestyle. And yet they, you know, conveniently miss out the fact that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And so, yeah, you know, don't let society or culture or your mates tell you who jesus was you've got to let scripture show you who jesus is and jesus of course came to make known who god is and so by knowing who jesus is you of course understand more of who god is and what god wants and what god's like and so again 
pick up a gospel and read it and understand who Christ is. That's what I'd encourage anyone here who maybe doesn't know him. Absolutely. And with that, in, with that information that you've just heard there, you can now read it. Reckon, you know, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word yes. with God, the word was God. And then you yes. see chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh mm, love and, that. and dwelt yeah. among us. So, oh, you know, and, and some people may think, well, Jesus only lived 2000 years ago. And, you know, oh, yeah. no, no, he was in the beginning. He was yes. right there in the beginning. Oh, man. You know, and, and on and on. Now, what is next for you and your family? Um, I think just continuing with this new calling, um, uh, we've got some continuing to work for this um, uh, missions organization and we're developing this curriculum uh, called Toward the Goal. And uh, it's really exciting. We've done the pilot episode. And we're getting it tested in about eight or nine countries around the world right now. And uh, the feedback from kids has been really good. So we're going to be praying that the Lord will provide the funds for the rest of the project. And of course, continuing to pastor the church. And we've seen God really do amazing things during lockdown, you know, where we haven't been able to see each other as much. The Lord has been just awakening people in our church, you know, people who I've known for seven years who have, you know, they've attended the services, but there's no relationship with God. Suddenly just they've, felt convicted about their sins and they've thrown themselves on god and now you know when when they come home from church they then go and just start listening to other sermons and reading you know they can't get enough of god and seeing god's power at work in people's lives is just the most beautiful fulfilling thing i've ever encountered it's far better than more, more exciting than being in combat and so yeah my, my prayer for god is i don't know where the road's going to lead but my prayer for him is just more 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 i want to be more like jesus i want to see his power more in my life in my family's life and i just want to see him at work that, that that's the prayer i want for my life and if that's going to lead through suffering and hardship then so be it because ultimately it's for my good but more importantly it's for his glory and i just want to be part of that Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. Amen and amen to that. Now, we're going, we're coming to land um, on the podcast, and I just want to read pretty much the last paragraph of mm. your book here. Um, and uh, you're, you're just flying out of Afghanistan uh, for the last time, really. And you say this, most of all, above and beyond the adventures that I've had, it is the fact that God has used this time, so that the three years that you were in Afghanistan, mm. turn my heart back to him that hits me the hardest. He has brought me through pain, combat, fear, and loss. He has transformed my life. Out of nowhere, he has given me the best girl in the world, that's apart from my girl, that is. Um, <laughs> we'll have uh, to agree to disagree. On. <laughs> <laughs> a gorgeous baby boy to boot. And now you've got two more. I cannot wait to spend the rest of my life with them. God has taught me that he alone can be trusted mm. utterly. He has taught me that putting him first is the way to true happiness. Not chasing combat, drink, women or excitement. I did not deserve his love, kindness or favour. And yet he poured it out on me because he loves me. That's it. That is what grace is. Mm. So uh, what a wonderful, wonderful way to finish your book, uh, to be recognising uh, what God has done in your life uh, mm. over, a, you know, any one of those patrols could have ended your life then and there. But clearly, we know that God is sovereign. Mm. Um, God had a plan. 
And uh, as you have continued to seek him, uh, he is unveiling more of his plan uh, for your life. As you pastor a church and you have a flock to to um, minister to, but also really exciting this new project that you're doing. Mm. And I'm guessing you're using your your photography, your your video filming skills as part of that. Would that be yes. right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Josh, I just um, it's been a privilege for me to to do this. Uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. And uh, I just think it's uh, it's a wonderful story with clearly a lot more to come. And uh, some I, I hope those of you that are listening have, have picked up uh, something of Josh's heart here um, from where he has been and what God's done in his heart. And actually, as your heart has been changed, Josh, mm. and more aligned with God's heart, then he has opened up this uh, this ministry or ministries to you and to yeah. others and to bless others. So really grateful uh, to uh, have you on the Bible and Me podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.